Smashed into the net by Kylian Mbappe. Oh, Benyera, beautifully done. Cornet finds Dembele. The first touch is good. The second is deadly. Neymar still. Oh, my word, what a goal. Golovin. Lovely finish. Oh, yes, delivery. Gendouzi's header. Here's an opportunity, Sanchez. Outrageous goal from Gael Kakuta. Play it again. Adolberg. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it. With all the layers of a Yevon Duf goalkeeping error, the longevity of Ajaxio's Cedric Avenel, the spontaneity of a Grejean Kier goal, and the immaculate timing of the advertising hoardings at the Parc des Princes, as well as the wholesome family values of FC Lorient. Le Beaujeu team is back again with the latest episode of the official Ligue 1 podcast. And in today's show, we're going to look back at all the weekend's action and focus on the good old-fashioned slugfest at the top between Giants, PSG, Marseille, Lorient and Lens. That's right, today we're going to focus on the strangest top four in Ligue 1's history of the modern game. I'm very happy to say, Robbie Thompson, I am joined by Ligue 1 commentator, senior UEFA.com journalist and all-round polyglot, Ian Holyman. Who have you been interviewing over the last week or so, Ian? Uh, good, good question. Hello, hello, everyone. Um, I spent a very nice afternoon and got slightly sunburned at Monaco's beautiful training ground with uh, Axel de Sarsi. I can confirm what everybody knows. He's a big, big, big boy. Oh, wow. But very nice. Very nice. And then uh, interviewed uh, the wonderful Dimitri Payet last week as well. So uh, very entertaining. And Igor Tudor. Very entertaining and um, on good form. We can find all that, I imagine, on UEFA.com in the in the lead-up to uh, the European matches once again. We're also joined by Luke Entwistle, all-round French football expert, professional journalist based on the Côte d'Azur. Luke, who have you been interviewing lately? Not Axel de Sassi as well. Not, not Axel de Sassi as well, but also at Monaco, predictably. Um, morning to everyone, by the way. Um, I interviewed Alexander Nubel the other day, also very tall. <laughs> well, this is this is fascinating insight listeners it, it might, wow. it's a common theme down there <laughs> <laughs> where can we catch that one luke uh that one is on two platforms that's on get french football news and on monaco life very good as always please follow us subscribe share us with your friends don't be jealous and try and keep us for yourselves rate us and now you can even catch us on youtube on the official League official channel. If you want to get in touch, you can do so on League underscore English and League World on Twitter, and you can drop us a line and say hello. Fire us your questions at podcast at gmail.com. I promise you we do read them all. Now, on a sad note, it has uh, struck the world of football in the last 24 hours, the tragedy in Indonesia, and we received an email from a, a regular listener of the pod, Nofal Havid's Auladana, who uh, doesn't really know what to say, but felt compelled to write in. He said, the last two days in Indonesia have been devastating for me and all the people of my country. How could this happen? The loss of more than 120 lives in a football stadium. I'm speechless. Arema FC and Persebaya Surabaya and the tragedy that followed the end of that match at the Kanjurahan Stadium Obviously, all our thoughts are, uh, are with those, the people, the victims, the families of the victims there, but it's true. It's something that should never happen in a football stadium. It happens too much, and uh, I think we join with the, the chorus of everyone in world football to, to just send our condolences to Indonesia and, and the football family all around the world because it's always a massive shock when a, when a tragedy like this happens. And good luck to Naufal as well, and the people of Indonesia, our, our listeners there. So we're back after an international break, and let's get into the action. First up, it was Friday night, Olympic de Marseille versus Angers, and Andreas Evagora, our pod regular, was on commentary. Lovely turn from uh, Suarez. Jonathan Close. Close, yeah. right-footed close. Jonathan Close goes all the way, tries a left-foot shot, and it's a brilliant finish from the French international. 
first blood to Marseille. It's their first real chance. But it was a super strike. Jonathan Close, the right-footed player, going down the left and showing he's very much a two-footed player. Marseille take the lead under the driving rain in the west of France. It's Angers nil, Marseille one. Driving forward close. Very direct, it's going to come through to Suarez! Well, he wasn't going to miss from there. It was all about the hard work from Jonathan Close, who put it on a plate for Luis Suarez. Our Marseille heading back to the top of the table. PSG beware, it's Angers nil, Marseille two. Suarez, the header on. Jonathan Close, is this a third for Marseille? Gigo of all people up there. All comes across to Jesson. Well, it's clinical stuff from Marseille. They have three goals and surely three points. And they were toying with Angers there. It's been an excellent second half for Marseille. Their fans surely dreaming of those three points now. And Jesson just sliding the ball in for his second goal of the season. Another nicely worked move. Samuel Gigo up there, of all people, showing uh, some fancy footwork. Put away by Gerson. It's three for Marseille, and they're totally dominant. Angers nil, Marseille three. So, Jonathan Close, with a goal and assists for Luis Suarez and Gerson. Is it fair to say, Ian Holyman, that Jonathan Close was the difference in this match? And could he prove yet to be the difference? for France's World Cup, because France are, are struggling a little bit, and here you have a player who can do just about everything. Well, yes, he can, but no, he won't be. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a really good player, and uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. And just a little, little side note on my, uh, my Payet interview. Uh, waiting for Dimitri Payet, suddenly the door opens... And I see Valentin Rangier and uh, Jonathan Close walk in. And they come in and shake hands. And like, where do we go? I'm like, um, we're not waiting for you. We're waiting for Dimitri Payet. <laughs> so the wires got crossed there somewhere. But he, did, he didn't take it badly. Neither of them did. They just headed off to the press conference uh, centre. Um, I mean, Close, he's... he's <sighs> yeah, come on. He's done it against Angers. It's it's a great great individual performance. He's been involved in in uh, twenty one goals in the league, six scored, fifteen assists. That's where his real his real value comes uh, to Marseille. That's why they wanted him. That's that's the value that he showed at, at Lens. I I don't know quite frankly if he can re replicate that at international level. I I saw him playing for France against uh, Austria, and um, I I just don't think he's I don't think it's quite that level, actually. He's just a little bit under it. He's a very, very, very good league game player. Uh, he's got a fabulous backstory. Um, he's just turned 30, but he's only really been around, what, the top level for the last three three years. He was at Strasbourg as a kid, got dropped from there, went to play in the sixth division in Germany, which would serve him well later in his career. He, he joined... He signed his first professional deal with uh, Kavi in Rouen, which is just up the road from where I live, in, uh, when he was 24. So you think already the, that, that that sort of barge bus train is gone. He's not going to make it to the big time. And then he sort of dots around a little bit, does all right, and then moves to Armenia Bielefeld, of all places. And only because a move to Dinamo Brest in Belarus falls through... And in Bielefeld, he, he, he turns things upside down in the Bundesliga second division, gets them promotion to the top flight, moves to Lens on a free, doesn't play in the top flight, makes his Ligue 1 debut, or his, his, his top flight debut, uh, in, I think he's 28 when he, when he does that, and uh, he gets called up for France in March last year at 29. So he just turned 30, playing in the Champions League this season. It's an, incre it's an incredible story. But no, I'm, I'm afraid that Jonathan Close is, is not going to be the difference between France making making it uh, a successful title defence in Qatar and uh, and not, un unfortunately for for them.
Ian, the Grinch who stole Christmas, Holyman, <laughs> is back. <laughs> well, I just like to tell it like it is, guys. I mean, he's a really good player, but no, he's he's not gonna he's not gonna do it. He's I'm afraid he's not gonna do it. I do think though that he will start almost by default, um, just because of the fact that no one else has proved themselves at right back for France on a regular basis. So I think he will start in that first game in the World Cup. I, I think that's not a ridiculous thing to say. But yeah, agree with Ian that I don't think he's gonna he's gonna prove the difference over the long run, especially when it goes deeper into the competition. You get up against those bigger teams. He won't be the difference maker, even if he is a starter. Yeah, I think I think well, what's, uh, what what I was going to say, Robbie. Sorry, what's what's interesting is is Luke said by default, which is interesting, and and really close has to play in a back in a back with with a back three. He's not gonna. He he isn't a he isn't a right back. He's a right wing back. That's a that's very much a that's a very crucial point. He's not there to defend. If if Deschamps goes with a back four, Close is not going to play. Benjamin Pavard will play at right back, even though he wants to play centre back a little bit, like Lillian Turam all those all, all those years ago. Thought what was interesting about Friday's performance from Jonathan Close is that he produced that at left wing back because Nuno Tavares was suspended, and I've seen that happen. In the Champions League, notably this season, Close has been moved around, and he, he he didn't perform when he went over onto the left. He looked totally out of out of sorts and and literally like out of out of position. But on Friday night, it all seemed to come together. That said, it was against Angers. They're having an absolutely appalling season. Marseille have got plenty of quality to beat Angers, even without Jonathan Close pulling out a what we could describe as a master Close, if you if you like. Um, at the Stad Raymond Copper, um, I mean, yeah, he's he's a really good player. He's got an amazing story, an inspirational story uh, for any footballer who's still struggling out there at the age of twenty four, twenty five, uh, in in the lower ranks of, of, of French football. You can still make it to the French national team. That's quite incredible. But unfortunately, he's not going to be a World Cup winner. It is a fantastic backstory, as Ian Holyman said. That first game, Luke Entwistle, is obviously against Australia at the World Cup on the 22nd of November for the French. So Jonathan Close won't have it all his own way, obviously, in that one up against the Socceroos. Perhaps I'll, I'll come around to your way of thinking there, Ian Holyman, that uh, the French could, <laughs> could find the going tough. No, I think I think he's had an amazing run, over, obviously, over the last three years. I think it's fantastic to see. And I, I think I, what I love is the fact that we keep learning more and more about him. Now we've learned that he actually doesn't have two right feet, that he does have a left foot as well because it was a, a left-footed strike for the for the goal. And I think he's going from strength to strength. What I, what I love, and we see a player like this every now and again, is one who hasn't come through the French system, which is a very formatted, um, fantastic youth system that... that produces so many fantastic footballers that can just go and play anywhere around the world. This kid's got character, or this man now has character, and I think uh, if he can play with that freedom and fit in and be accepted by by the, the big guns in, in Les Bleus, it could, make, it could make for something pretty spectacular. On Saturday afternoon, Rennes piled on more misery onto their ex-coach Julian Stefan. It was Arnie Kalimwendo this time that had the, the master close, if you like. Uh, he became the first player born in 2002 or after to reach 20 goals in Europe's top five leagues. He was a goal scorer and, and double assist provider as well. Wren finding a little bit of form for the moment. They're exchanging wins and draws, but they're not losing again, which is, a, which is good for Pep Genesio's side. And it's another defeat for Strasbourg. Now, gentlemen, I'll go to you first, Luke, because Strasbourg, I really don't think anyone was expecting this at the start of the season. We've spoken about it week in, week out. But now I want to try and turn this around and think of reasons why Strasbourg are not in that much trouble. Why can Strasbourg survive the drop? They're the only side after nine games without a win so far this season. Quite simply because there are four worst teams. I think when you look on paper, there are four definitely worse teams than <laughs> Strasbourg. It's not, it's not clicking for them so far, and I'm not sure what it will take for them to click at all. But when you just look in the table there and some of the fixtures that Strasbourg have had as well, uh, I think you can see that they will get out of it. I mean, I, I remember you said, you know, what, 
what can they believe you know what do they need to believe and it's it's not going to be a European challenge like it was last season for them, but nor do I think it's going to be necessarily a big relegation battle. I think they'll finish comfortably mid-table just by virtue of the quality that is there within the squad and the fact that there are some teams in the league who are definitely worse than them. Well, I think I think it's time for our weekly throwing Angus Tarot under the bus, uh, suggesting that they would finish in the top three. They're still very much outsiders, as, as uh, has been previously mentioned. Very, very outside that. Um, I think there's actually a number of reasons, if, if I may. Red card in three of the last four games isn't going to help. And Jezino Nyamsi got sent off against his former club uh, at the weekend. And Julian Stefan was not or a kicking, happy boy. Be- kicking the ball. Well, exactly. This is, again, it's another one of these red cards. And the thing is, during the international break, there was a meeting between the referees and, uh, and the, the Ligue 1 coaches to try and explain these red cards. You may remember the Bradley Loco uh, red card where he mm-hmm. he got sent off uh, against Monaco for just following... He was just kicking the ball, clearing kicking it. Kicking the ball. Bola yeah. came across and it, as Loco's foot naturally went to ground uh, due to gravity, thank you, Mr. Newton, he he, he caught Mbola on the, on the Achilles. He got sent off. Niamsi did exactly the same with uh, with Benjamin Bourgeau on uh, on Saturday. Uh, his foot and, and, and Niamsi's very, very tall, much taller than Burijo. So, so Niamsi's foot ended up at the top of, of, of Burijo's thigh. Didn't particularly do any damage. He, he didn't. It's not like he followed through with any venom to really hurt Burijo, his former teammate. Let's remember, and he got sent off. And that really did. That really did change things because Strasbourg had played pretty well, pretty well up till then. I think that they've got immense quality. Habib Diallo, he's got four of their goals. That's There's a problem. Four of their seven goals this season. Everybody else has got one. Ludovic Ajok is not firing as he did last season. They've got a fabulous goalkeeper, Matt Sells. He made a number of saves against, it has to be said, a Ren side that's really, really coming into form. And if you like football, and we're talking about Pep Genesio, look at Ren's third goal. It's a it's a thing of beauty. Little interpassing play between Guiri and Calimwendo. That looks like it could be a very, very fruitful partnership uh, for, for, for Ren. And just maybe one more thing, for, uh, one more bone, and a fairly large one to throw Strasbourg fans. Brest, last season, didn't win until, anybody? Week 12. Week 12 of the season. So Strasbourg, and they finished, they finished comfortably mid-table in the end. So there's this... this Plenty of reason to hope. I, lo- I love the fact that Ian Holyman has just given added more credence to my belief that no matter what happens and all the outrage or the, the, the carry-on about, my God, we're witnessing history, or this is unbelievable, this is the worst team we've ever seen, this is the most, you know, everything's are always extremes. There is always a precedent. And in this case, for Strasbourg, the precedent was just last year, and they've, they've got another three games up their sleeve. So they shouldn't be panicking at all. <laughs> what I would say, and it, it sums up more or less what the pair of you have said, is they've only lost four games. They've only won one, yes. But they've only lost four, which is the same number of defeats as Olympic Lyonnais. Problem for Olympic Lyonnais, it's their last four as well. But Strasbourg uh, have only lost four. They've drawn five. They're not on the bottom, despite being the only side without a win. And, and that shows that they are not out of matches. They are not losing every match like an Ajaxio, like an Angers, who are being played off the park more weekends than not. This is a, this is a side that are in the contest, that are in contests, and, and sooner or later, it's going to turn in their favour. Agreed. Next up on Saturday night, Paris Saint-Germain. We're taking on OGC Nice at the Parc des Princes. Uh, and Matt Spiro had all the action. Barclays pass has only found Messi. Messi running at the defence and he's taken out right on the edge of the box. Dante gets a yellow card. He, he takes it for the team effectively because Messi was bearing down on goal had he not made that challenge. Neymar steps away. Messi takes and Messi! Has just stroked it beautifully into the corner. Just a sensational technique and a sensational footballer. Paris Saint-Germain take the lead. 
Natal was making a good run forward. He's had to come back now. The cross, though, is a good one. Great chance, and Nice have levelled it. Gaten Laborde pouncing on the loose ball after Yusuf Atal's cross has caused the PSG defence all kinds of problems. Well, perfect start to the second period for Nice. And Gaten Laborde with his first league goal for Les Aiglons. Having joined the club late in August from uh, Rennes. He wasn't going to turn down that opportunity. Ekatike, well played by Dante. Sofiane Diop now. Well played by Diop, this is uh, Ramsey. Diop again. Yusuf Atal crossing far post, Melvin Bart. Chance for Melvin Bart. On his weaker right foot, he couldn't quite control the shot, but all of a sudden it's Nice who are on the front foot and asking questions of this PSG defence. Nice getting numbers back now. Atal can't dispossess Messi, though. Messi drawing the foul for Mario Lamina. Play on, says the referee. He's playing advantage. Messi. Now Vitinha, shot on for Vitinha. It's a foot wide of that far post. And it's time for Kylian Mbappe. We'll see more, I'm sure, of Hugo Ekateki in the coming weeks and months. Juan Pernat also sacrifices, Nuno Mendes comes on. Vitinha to Neymar. Good run forward this from Ashraf Hakimi. He's taking it in his stride as well. Mbappe in the middle. Hakimi decides to come back for Neymar and Neymar's shot is over. Balls it about Paris Saint-Germain since Mbappe has come on. Hakimi. Messi, great ball. Nuno Mendes in the clear. Schmeichel with the save. Well, that was incisive from Paris Saint-Germain and Nuno Mendes providing an outlet on that left-hand side. Schmeichel out towards Melvin Bard. PSG winning high up the pitch, and Mukiele now. Mukiele's pass, Mbappe's goal! Killing Mbappe, strokes it into the net. Honours a substitute in the second half, and Paris Saint-Germain's saviour once again is Killing Mbappe. The PSG number seven, who couldn't beat Kasper Schmeichel whilst playing for France against Denmark, has beaten him here. That's frustrating for Nice, who've done so well in this second half. But Mbappe may well have had the final say. So a 60th free-kick goal in the career of Lionel Messi, a first for Paris Saint-Germain to go with 50 for his former club in Spain, I think it was, and nine for his national team, Argentina. Uh, Gaetan Laborde got back on level terms. For, for Nice just after the halftime break, as we just heard. His first goal for Nice before Kylian Mbappe putting all the, the dramas of national team duty and and uh, a few loose tongues around the rumour mill that is Paris Saint-Germain week in, week out to get his eighth goal of the season. It's his 11th in 10 matches with Paris Saint-Germain in all competitions this season. But possibly the most remarkable thing about all this Luke Entwistle was that when Messi hit the free kick, all the advertising hoardings around the stadium changed to to show the word goat just as the ball left his, his left boot and curled up over the wall and into the top corner. And uh, yes, goat is one of uh, Paris Saint-Germain's major sponsors this season, but it was clearly he still has it. He can influence things well beyond just a football. <laughs> Are we saying that he changed advertising hoardings? Is that 
Is that the line? <laughs> well, I mean, it's, it's not the first time this happened. Well, not quite, but in the same breath as well, I saw a video of him coming off the pitch during a training session, and uh, it's a, a sleeve sponsor as well. And he was the only one who had the GOAT sponsor, I believe, on his sleeve when he came off, which uh, was also quite amusing, I thought. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've spoken quite a lot about Messi this season, um, and what we keep doing is comparing him to the Messi that we saw last season, which is... A completely different Messi. He just looks very much at ease now. He's spoken about it, saying that he feels more comfortable on the side. Um, so I think we're, we're going to see a lot more of these moments, especially with the World Cup coming up. I feel as though he's very, very, very motivated um, by the national team. Probably his last opportunity to win the World Cup with with Argentina, um, and he's just looking more like the Messi that we've known for the past decade. Um, and for PSG, that's a very positive thing. Ian, Christophe Galtier after the match said that uh, Messi could yet re-become the best player in the world if he, if he wanted to. I'm not sure if Killian was listening and what Killian thought about that, but uh, do you agree that this could yet happen once again for the, the, the little flea? Why do you always come to me when I have to sort of dampen everybody's enthusiasm about this? No, <laughs> I mean, probably not. I mean, let's, let's just switch leagues and let's see what Erling Haaland is doing at Manchester City right now. Um, I mean, I think I think the rest the 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 the, the decade but is going to belong. He doesn't he doesn't touch the ball in the build up, Ian. Holland hardly touches the football. He but, has no influence on the game. No, apart from the three goals that he scored in a six three win. Anyway, but apart from that, apart from the goals, obviously, yes, useless. Um, he's only got seventeen in about five minutes. Uh, but I think that the decade the decade is going to belong to 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 Mbappe and Holland. I think that's that's pretty clear. That's the new that's the new Ronaldo Messi. Uh, debate which one do you which one do you prefer but I think what there is no doubt is that is that we've got a, a Lionel Messi who's who's just a lot better a lot happier as, as Luke says uh, a lot better in form than he was last season and I think he's sort of come to terms with the fact that he's at PSG let's see what happens in the next few months when we start to talk about end of contract etc etc but um, he's he's Got five goals already as well this season. He got six in the whole of last season. Um, you know when when did we when did we see Messi bend in a free kick last season? Uh, well, we we didn't. I mean, he's just looking. He's looking more like himself. But to say that he's going to become the best player in the world again, I think that's again it's a, it's a little bit of a stretch. But he it's it's no big. I'm not really sticking my neck out to say he's definitely still one of the best players in the world. Should we should we should we just go with that? He did hit the crossbar about six times with free kicks last season, though. I mean, he wasn't far away. Another interesting stat to come out of the game was that Sergio Ramos has now played 21 Liga matches and not lost any of them. He equals a record, the the Liga record, going back to, to record starting in 1947, of Juan Pablo Sorin, who also went 21 matches for Paris Saint-Germain in, I think it was the 2003, Three four season, um, where he played his one season with Paris Saint Germain and never tasted defeat in that season before leaving. So Sergio Ramos, a fantastic uh, little record for him. Luke, a word about the opposition. There was so much talk about Lucien Favre uh, that he was going to be on his way out. There was talk that that Mauricio Pochettino could be the man coming in to replace him. The club came out and said, no, we're very happy. Lucien Favre came out and said, look, there's no problem. We're working through this. Um, has that all subsided now? And was this a good enough performance to think that that Favre's future still lies at Allianz Riviera? I mean, yeah, starting with the performance, I thought they played pretty well throughout the match and thought they were quite unlucky not to take anything from it. I think it wasn't the most inspiring second performance, but not many teams do provide that kind of inspiring second performance when you go to the Parc des Princes. So I thought defensively very, very solid. And then when they were in the transitions, they were very quick. Um, looked like it was all kind of pieced together pretty well for the first time this season. So I thought they were very unlucky. And um, they didn't allow PSG to get to the byline too often. The one time they did, obviously, cut back to Mbappe. And um, he did the rest as he, as he often does. Uh, is it enough to save him and his job? It is difficult to say because he needs to probably go in a run at this point. There's a lot of rumours going around during the international break that not only were they in discussion with Maurizio Pochettino, but also that Favre himself wasn't happy. And Favre has looked frustrated in the press conferences I've been in. Um, 
just in his, his general demeanor, doesn't look 100% happy. He doesn't seem to have maybe been very, very involved in the recruitment process at Gates on the Board's uh, unveiling. Gates on the Board walks away after having done his, uh, done his bit. And uh, Favre goes over and says, 28 years old, as if he didn't know that he was 28 years old. And then when asked about what's Barkley's best position, kind of shrugged a little bit and said, well, I've been told he's a number eight, as if you know, I was nothing to do with this, but here he is. Um, so there's a little bit of that. It, it's not just Nice are unhappy with Favre. Favre is also unhappy with Nice, it, it feels. Um, but in football, it's results that, that matter. And I think results can very, very quickly change the mood around the place. So if they have a good run now between now and the World Cup, That'll do a lot to, to settle things, and uh, and we'll just see. But yeah, I think it's very very results dependent. Ian, a word in the in the build up to this, and perhaps looking to last season as well, or even since Ineos took over at Nice, it hasn't just bedded in. It hasn't been a, a marriage made in heaven so far for for Ineos. They did make a cup final last year with Nice, which was great. But they've they've been through a couple of coaches already, and last year. Uh, with Julien Fournier and Christophe Galtier, it really didn't work. That all resurfaced in the week leading up to this match. Have we heard the end of that? Because there were some pretty serious allegations that were not overtly said, but but underneath, un, going on underneath was was some fairly serious allegations against Christophe Galtier. Have, have we heard the end of that? Yeah, there was clearly a lot of animosity. I think from particularly from Fournier towards towards Galtier. Um, Fournier suggesting that if he if he gave the real reason for their falling out, then Christophe would never enter a dressing room in France again, which is well bold. Basically, said he would never coach again in Europe, didn't he? he exactly. Said that he so wouldn't coach again in Europe. Let's not let's not get into the the allegations behind uh, that. He didn't explain it, Fournier, and there's been a, a lot of speculation and and. Um, about what what he actually what he actually meant since Jean-Pierre River who's it has to be said the consummate politician president <laughs> came out and said oh there's nothing to see here it doesn't know come on I talked to Julian he he admitted he'd perhaps not expressed himself well I think that's fair to say that perhaps he didn't express himself well if you're going to go that far um then you might want to you know, back it up because that's that's quite a, that's quite a thing to say. But I mean, honestly, let's just move on, shall we? Not Galtier's PSG boss, Fournier's got a new job at, at Parma. I'm sure that he was fairly bitter after after sort of feeling like he was forced out of Nice after 11 years there. He's he's done a tremendous job by all accounts, not only in terms of helping um, build a, a fairly successful team under, for example, Claude Puel and Lucien Favre in his first spell there, but also helping uh, build the team, build the club from within, the training ground, he's, uh, the, the new stadium. He's been, he's been one of the driving forces behind Nice becoming kind of what they were just before Ineos took over. Um, so no wonder he's a, he's, a, he's a little bit sour at, at having left. But he's got a nice new job in Parma. I wouldn't mind uh, a little spell down there as well. The food must be magnificent as well. as I can't imagine he's, uh, he's, he's on the minimum wage there either. So And a very nice place to live. So, you know, these things happen in football. People fall out. It's, it's very much a, a sport in which egos play a, a, a huge, or huge egos play a huge role. And um, I think that's probably what it, what it came down to more than, more than anything else in the end. And just on Fournier, uh, he has not been replaced. Uh, that's another major issue at Nice, is that they still don't have a sporting director. They had Ian Moody, who came in to manage that, that transfer window. He will not be the sporting director. The will of the club is to keep him around the club, but not in that role. So it's once again, it, it's not the only club in the league, and let's not kid ourselves. But there is a little bit of uncertainty at the, in the hierarchy of the club. And I think that that doesn't necessarily... Oh, they brought in Dave, Dave Brailsford as well, yeah. didn't they? Although his yeah. role isn't isn't necessarily that they are they are very much looking for a for a director, and they've just sort elected someone else in another kind of fourth level position. So th- there's a lot of moving parts still at Nice. Um, Ineos have been there for a few years now, but it feels changing hands a little bit. Yeah, it's an interesting it's an interesting situation because the it's a project whereby Ineos have got 
already a couple of football clubs playing in, you know, elite football in Europe. They've got their cycling team. They've got a yachting, a sailing uh, team as well, which is elite, elite sailing. Um, and all of this, they're trying to bring it all together, aren't they, and create this sort of synergy between all these different fields. So, you know, perhaps perhaps it is just teething problems. Perhaps they're trying to do something revolutionary here and create this sort of omni-sport but we've seen basketball and football and, and handball in the past with, with clubs. Paris Saint-Germain even have a judo department these days. But uh, this is Ineos are looking to take that sort of big time next level. You're listening to no big egos here, of course, as Ian Holyman was uh, talking about football. Ian Holyman, Luke Entwistle and myself, Robbie Thompson on Le Beaujeu. Now it's time for... Deja vu. And first of all, just to prove that we're not all big egos here, I have a mere culpa after after last month's, the third and final Deja vu of September, I don't think was uh, good enough. We had very, very few correct answers. And looking back over the clues, I just think it was too vague, not, uh, not, not serious enough, didn't give you enough clues, not enough to go on. So so I do apologize for that. I still haven't decided right to this very minute whether I tell you what the answer was, because I may need to reuse it and, uh, and re-come re up with new clues. But we do have a winner for the September shirt, all the same, notwithstanding that third and final clue. The first answer was Rod Fanny, who ended his career with Toronto in Canada. And of course, the bonus question was, he denied Lucas Moura that uh, goal of the century in Le Classique, where Lucas Moura basically charged 70 metres upfield right through the heart of the Marseille defence, chipped the ball over Steve Mondonda, and just as it was about to cross the line, Rod Fanny came sliding in from nowhere to clear. So that was the first one. The second one was Nicholas Anelka, who'd won just about everything there was to win before the age of 22. Um and the bonus question was, of course, he was sent home from the World Cup in disgrace in 2010 for a half-time blow-up uh, against Mexico. It was nil-nil at the time. It ended 2-0 to Mexico. France were kicked out of the tournament without a win in the group stage and uh, came home with their tails between their legs um, and certainly not on a bus. The third player... I'll, I'll tell you who it was. A couple of people did get it right. It was Adrian Rabiot. And the thing that all three players had in common, and this was a, another little difficult clue, was that they'd all been called up and they were all reserves for World Cups in history. Anelka was one of the first ever French reservists, if you like, from 1998 when uh, Jacquet got rid of six players on the eve of the tournament. And that made a huge uh, huge impact in France. Rod Fanny was a reservist in 2010, and Adrian Rabiot, of course, who stormed out and said, I'm not going to be a reserve for anyone in 2018 when he was not chosen in that squad that went on, of course, to win the World Cup. So a winner is Sean Patrick, who got uh, the first two. I'm just trying to think if he got the third one. He may well have done. Um, so well done, Sean Patrick. And now get in contact with us, send us an email, and uh, we'll work out your shirt, your Ligue 1 shirt that you've won this month. And let's head straight in then to the Deja Vu, the first of four in October. And I'll try and be a little bit more concise, precise. Who am I? I was born and raised in the Paris suburbs. A highly rated youth player, I signed my first professional contract away from the capital and made my Ligue 1 debut at just 17 years of age. It wasn't long before I was making history. Bursting onto the national scene was quickly followed by a big money move and that by a first overseas experience. It wasn't until I returned to France, however, that I won my first silverware, including the championship and a league cup. I also cemented my place in the France national team with whom I made 24 appearances and played in my one and only international tournament. My unsettled career continued before a spell on the other side of the Atlantic brought a third championship winner's medal and cup glory there, as well as a serious injury. I bounced back in the French second division and I'm still playing second tier football today, but not in France. 
Who am I? And what two records do I hold in Ligue 1 history? There we go. Is that too long, Ian? I have a feeling I went for about another three minutes there. <laughs> <laughs> but plenty of plenty of clues in there. Plenty of clues. I, I started off exactly. on one guy, but it's but it's not him. So uh, uh, I'll have well, to give that a bit of thought. It can't be too easy. <laughs> if you know easy. who the uh, if you know who the the mystery player is, send us an email with the, who it is and the bonus question to League One Podcast at gmail and you could go into the draw for the October jersey. I'd just like to highlight yeah. the one time that I get one. Ah, <laughs> very good. <laughs> Excellent. So everyone listening, there is hope even when you feel that, you know, sometimes these are getting the better of you. Like, keep plugging away and sooner or later, one will come. Like Luke has uh, experienced the joy of getting the Nicholas and Elka Deja Vu in September. Moving on, though. Our next featured match, and we're going through those top four, of course. The huge surprise of this season, we've been talking about it every week, FC Lorient were taking on Lille, and Jeremy Clayman was looking to see if Les Merlus, the Hake, would continue their best ever start to a Ligue 1 season. Quick touch from Ponso, who plays it inside. Diara across, and it's an own goal! Well, Diara takes... The acclaim of Le Moustoir, but it's another horror show for Losk at the back. And now the ball slipped through beautifully. It's got to be Jonathan David on the mark. A sumptuous team move brings the dog level. Brilliant play from Adarunas. Again, the fire starter. Finding the run of Bamba on his 200th league and appearance. And it's a tap-in for Jonathan David. His sixth goal of the season. Do Lorient have a late twist in mind? Theo Lebris. He's done it! Well, I wondered if there was to be a twist in the tail. And that could be a dramatic one. Well, his uncle looks calm on the sidelines. But everywhere else in Le Moustoir has gone absolutely wild for Théo Lebris. A brilliant take. And in the blink of an eye, he was away from Zadadka. And the 20-year-old with his first goal in Liga and Uber Eats. And a priceless one for the 10-man. Now, guys, this is an open question to both of you. You can jump in. There were some uh, incredible scenes, as we just heard in the commentary. Théo Lebrise, the the nephew of the coach, Regis, uh, I think it was his fifth appearance uh, in ever off the bench, uh, fourth or fifth appearance for the Lorient first team. He brought the ball down with his first touch. With his second touch, he took it past his marker bore down on goal to score the winner um, at home. This is an incredible story. At what point, because we're a quarter of the way through the season now, at what point are we going to start taking Lorient seriously, Ian Holyman? Uh, again, do I, do I have to? Really? I sound, I sound just like... <laughs> <laughs> okay, stop. Luke, 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 stop. No, that's okay. Luke, step in and build this up even more. Our Lorient... <laughs> Gonna do this? Can they do they it? Can. So they're they're gonna win the league, obviously. Uh, in PSG on the final day. Of the season. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the answer you want. Um, I'm not sure if that's the answer, um, the most truthful answer I've ever given. <laughs> do they have all the components? Probably not. Um, they have a lot of young players doing a lot of really really good work. I mean, Enzo Lopez had a, a great start to the season, in particular. Mofi Vatara. These are all great players, but you don't. You can't necessarily say these are going to have a consistent season and, and continue that all the way through. The young players, they're going to all have dips in form. They could even all coincide with each other, and that would be quite problematic for, for Lorient if that was the case. So, obviously, the, the main thing for them is that we all pipped them for um, relegation. 
and I don't think there will be. So that's the main positive, and I think that they'll probably be top half. Well, I think from what I've seen so far, it, it's a question of depth, isn't it? We all we said it at the start of the season. We always have a surprise packet that makes it sometimes through to Christmas. I mean, Nice uh, six or seven years ago was sitting top, I think, of the league at at, at Christmas one season. This side have started with nine of the nine of the starting eleven have been the same every single match this season. I don't know if I've expressed that the best possible way, but basically he's got eleven players, Regis Lebris, and they are playing out of their skin. Um, we saw a terrible, another terrible red card for Watara. I mean, this this was tough on him as well. I felt, but Ian, I tend to agree with you a little bit on this one. I'd be very very surprised. If naive Luke's prediction came came through that <laughs> that, that Lauren were to win the league, but 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 what do you see? I mean, that take nothing away from the fact that they are doing a fantastic job, a brilliant job, really. It is it is the feel good story of the summer in France. Absolutely, and and I have to admit, I've got a I've got a bit of always had a bit of a soft spot for them because they 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 try to play football. They're not a just like punt it up the park and let some guy chase after it and try and score and create a chance and just wreak havoc. No, they try and play, and I, I think that I think that you hit the nail on the head. That the the problem for them is strength in depth. That there isn't any. They have got that brilliant core. They've got young players now. Young players again can tend to go off the boil. Will they all go off the boil at the same time? But they do have some some really good prospects, but I just don't think they're going to have that consistency. They've not got that strength in depth to, to cover for suspensions, for example, to cover for injuries. When they sort of creep in, I, I admit the long break for the World Cup is probably going to help a team like Lorient. It's going to help a team like Lens because most of their players are not going to go uh, to, to the World Cup and they're going to get a, a decent rest. Then they're going to get the chance to train again. It's going to be a new preseason. And they're only going to have to play basically half a season, uh, a little bit more. To and so we could see a, a bit of a surprise in in, in the table in, in those in those terms. But I still think that they just don't have the strength and depth. Just one one thing, one name to mention: Edmond Eni. Heard of him? Me neither. Toulouse boss in 1947. He's the only man, the only French coach to have made a better start to his career. Than Regis Labrie. I mean, that's that's no, pretty... start to a league and season, wasn't it? Points starts it, to any league and season, wasn't it? No, it's to to, to 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 his coaching career, to his coaching career, yeah, in league, yeah. yeah. Uh, so that tells you the sort of scale of, of of the achievement. They are playing with with a lot of young players. Um, Lorient, uh, there's another stat have scored with three players born in 2002 or later. That's Watara. Johan Kathleen and uh, the, the aforementioned Theo Labris. Only Wren have done better, and Wren, uh, of course, with a huge pedigree of bringing through quality, quality young players. So it is very exciting. It's great to see them up there. It, it just does change many things. It's just a bit, bit of a refresh for us all. But unfortunately, again, I'm going to have to be the killjoy. This seems to be my role today. They're not going to. Fi- they're not going to finish in the top three. Quite frankly, quite frankly, I don't think it would be a good thing for Lorient to finish in the top three. And I don't think it'd be a great thing for French football in terms of the coefficient because Lorient would need to spend money that they just do not have to get players that they normally wouldn't be able to get for potentially Champions League group stage and they might not make it. And then I think they'd be in a huge, huge amount of trouble. So I think even a European place would be a bit of a stretch for them. Let's hope that they can build on this and maybe next season or the season after, then they can maybe push for it for a European place if they can keep this core of very good young players together. Well, Enzo Lefay may not agree with Ian Holyman's uh, downing of fairy tales and not believing in Christmas. Lefay, of course, meaning fairy uh, or, well, yeah, I, I guess it's fairy, in the, the translation. Is. He's actually got a, a, a fantastic uh, backstory, or not a fantastic Backstory. He's got a very interesting backstory, Enzo Lefay, and I'll, I'll do a bit more research before uh, on the ins and outs of 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 that story with his dad, his relationship with his dad, and and uh, it's a uh, he's done very well to make it this far. 
um, Enzo Lefay, and he's without a doubt having the best season of his career as well. A young man who's had to grow up fast uh, on the football pitch and off it as well, and he's doing a, a fantastic job. Speaking of doing a fantastic job, the performance of the weekend. I didn't uh, discuss this with uh, my acolytes before deciding that it was Wissam Benyetta who scored his first hat-trick of the season. He'd only scored one goal before this weekend for, for AS Monaco this season. A 4-1 win. They absolutely just wiped the floor with, with Nantes, in, uh, particularly in the first half. I think it was 3-0 inside 27 or 28 minutes. It was the 100th meeting between the two sides, and uh, Monaco just did the business with a fifth career hat-trick in French football for Wissam Ben Yedda. He's got 66 goals for Monaco. He's overtaken Radamel Falcao as the top scorer since the turn of the century for the club. Luke, he's, he's been dropped from the France World Cup squad, but since we're on a theme, uh, just quickly, could this, could this be a, a weekend that sees him throw his hat back into the ring? I think he's always there or thereabouts. He's probably in the top five most clinical strikers in the league. He could be the most clinical striker in the league. He just doesn't really miss. Uh, the issue has been for him this season so far is that he hasn't really had the opportunities, whether or not that is because of the system around him or whether it's because he's just not been, it, it, whether he's not been clinical. I don't think that's the case. I think it's just that the chances haven't fallen to him. And I think that with Breland Bolo next to him, I think it could be, a really good thing for him because he does a lot of the work and he works well with him. Can he get back into the front squad? It's difficult because it's clear that Mbappe likes a Giroud type. He maybe not Benzema, but you've got Benzema and you've got Giroud already. And really, I'd say that those two are pretty you bank on them being in the squad. So then it's the question of can you afford to have another out and out number nine when you've got all of those wingers um, and all of those other very, very talented players around that front line who can do different things. I think that's his difficulty is that he's a very, very good player who is looking to get into the France squad and looking to be a French international starter at just the wrong time. Next, uh, along with performance of the week, goal of the week, Ian Holyman, you were producing the the international highlights show yesterday evening. You gave it to Lionel Messi for for his free kick. Who else was in the mix then? Because Messi's goal was magnificent. You mentioned Terrier's goal in terms of a, a team move. And I liked Grejean Kies, the probably not filmed the best, because I think when you saw that first goal, no one realised what had happened. It was the most, most deceptive overhead kick I think I've ever seen in my life, because at first I didn't think it was Grejean Kies, and I thought it was a header. <laughs> yeah, abso- absolutely. I thought it was a header too. I, I, I watched it on the replay and thought, hang on. That's a that's a really very very good goal. Um, that was Claremont. Yeah, I have to say I was very surprised when you came out with the Jackson and Claremont in the in the intro <laughs> after Lionel Messi and Kylian Mbappe score. That was uh, that was bold, um, but it was a, it was a really really good goal and uh, Claremont with a good win. Or uh, Ajaxio in a lot of trouble, which is a shame because. I would like Ajaxio to stay up, but uh, purely for selfish reasons, because I'd very much like to go and do a commentary there, because Corsica is absolutely wonderful, and that stadium looks really cool. Uh, and I've never done one there. I've done one in Bastia uh, before, but uh, yeah, Ajaxio uh, looks looks like a great, a great place to go, but they just don't have the quality, and Clermont were, 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 were too good for them. And um, you, all, you also mentioned uh, Cedric Avinel. In, uh, yes. <laughs> in the intro. Now, this is... <laughs> now, this is... This is a player. If he's flown under, he was close to goal of the close to goal of the week. Well, he was close to the goal, and he very nearly missed it. Um, <laughs> this, if this man has flown under your radar, please uh, don't don't feel ashamed. He's he's thirty six. He was playing his, uh, I think, fifth league young game yesterday uh, against against uh, against Clermont, and um, he equalised for uh, for Ajaxio with a well, he was about 30 centimetres from an open goal, managed to hit it off the crossbar, uh, and, but still managed to scramble it in. I was, I was, I was, very, uh, I was very happy for him. But uh, Clermont coming through with Rashani and uh, Dosu late on, and uh, um, I think, yeah, Jaxio has uh, stitched on to be one of those bottom four teams, aren't they? Stat of the week this week. Number five. There are five players since 2006 to have scored provided an assist, and then been sent off in a Liga match. Yesterday, 
Junya Ito of Reims and continuing Reims' unbelievable ability to have players sent off this season. I mean, we're talking about getting sent off. I think that's their sixth game in which they've had a, a, a player sent off out of nine. Um, and I was having a look at the red card statistics, but I'll keep that up my sleeve. The other players, the other four players since 2006 to have scored, assisted and been sent off. He's keeping some quite good company here. James Leia Saliki with Ren, Mamadou Bagayoko with Nantes, Czech Diabate with Bordeaux, and of course, four years ago, Kylian Mbappe was also scored, assisted, and then sent off. I, I'd just like to add I just like to add one more in a kind of assist. Guillermo Maripan this season against Troyes scored, conceded a penalty, and was then sent off. I mean, there's he's got an assist <laughs> of sorts, isn't he? Our last game that we're going to have a look at um, and listen to live commentary was Mr. Holyman's game on the weekend. It was the final match of the round. It was the final side looking to keep pace with the top three to to maintain that, that leading quartet at the top of the table. Lens were at home in a fantastic atmosphere taking on Olympic Lyonnais and Mr. Holyman was there. And now Lens can break. Appended does well. Sucked Diamande in and skipped by him. And the ball back for Medina. Great start by Lopez. Here's Cabo. It's not a bad ball and a chance. Brilliant start from Lopez this time. Appenda denied. Cabo's ball in was superb. Appenda had all the space and time he needed. Cabo's ball in, and ball, says Medina, and Mr. Bastian agrees, it's a penalty for Lens. And it looks like it struck Thiago Mendes on the arm. It did indeed, and that will be a penalty. Already scored one penalty this season, he's got another. Florian Satoka buries it from the spot. And Lowe's finally have the breakthrough with just some 10 minutes to go. So, Ian, that's four losses in a row now for Olympic Lyonnais. Florian Sotoka with the, with the penalty late on to win it. But it finished 1-0 with the penalty. But, but really, Lowe's deserved winners. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. If it, they they should have been a couple up at at, at half time at the, the the very at the very least they had chances in the second half as well. Uh, they were so much better than Leon, so much better. Leon, look, lackluster is 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 an understatement. Um, Jean Michel Olas admitted that during the international break they considered firing Peter Boss. Uh, that was after three successive defeats. No, I'm not sure, unfortunately, because I like him very much. Uh, I'm not sure that Peter Boss is going to last much longer as, as the boss uh, of Leon. Not so much in terms of the results, let's say, because they've lost to PSG, Monaco, uh, Lorient, and now Lens. Uh, so you know some of the some of the best teams in, in in the division, and they'd started well, but they beat. They were kind of what we call a cricket flat track bullies. They beat teams that they should have beaten anyway. And it kind of masked a number of problems. And I think that the, the biggest problem was just the lack of intensity. And that was the really huge difference between the two. Lens were just all over Leon all the time. I mean, yes, the crowd plays a, a big part in that. But you had, a, you had a counter-attack in the first half. And I think this tells you how, a lot how Lens play and a lot about the, the, the determination of this Lens side. You had a counter-attack. It was led by Satoka just, before, just from outside of his own penalty area. Played it forward to Luis Appenda. Appenda then plays it into the middle. And who is the man charging through on his own in, in the middle? It's Facundo Medina. He is the left-sided centre-back of three. What on earth was he doing there? And uh, Lopez made a great save. And But it was, what was he doing there? It should have been... You'd have thought it'd be a winger. Or, no, it was their centre-back. So that just shows the determination of this of this long side it was it was a it was a brilliant move it's a shame it didn't end in a goal um at, at least for me and the uh, as a neutral and the Lons fans but 
It was uh, it was a great performance by Lance. And if you're talking about real deals, Lance are more of a real deal than than Lorient. They're not going to finish in the top three, Lance. I'll, I'll say that now. But they are surely going to finish in the European places this season. Well, there are three teams undefeated after nine games. This has never happened before in the history. So this is unprecedented. For now, anyway, in the history of French football, Paris Saint-Germain, Marseille and Lens, all undefeated. They are three of the top four, along with Lorient. Luke Entwistle, do you have anything you'd, you'd quickly like to add before we, before we start wrapping up results? Yeah, just uh, similarly to Nice, another one of those teams that don't have all of the parts in place. I think that whole John Textor uh, sale, I think, really looms over them like a, a bit of a cloud. I think, um, I think the sooner that gets sorted, the better. And it's also just once again, you say it's just been pushed it back again, hasn't it? It's just been pushed back, and uh, I think Ola yeah, said another I, month. I saw something yeah. about the twenty-first of October, so that's going to basically loom over them basically from here until the World Cup. Because um, I, I see that being pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. So, so that's a real issue for them. And once again, you say that Lonsa look more like the real deal, but they do so on such a smaller budget, such a, historically a big club, but you know not as big as, as Lyon. Yet they seem to be able to get the results. And it's once again a case of you look at Lyon's squad, you look at Lyon's squad, you say all the stars are in the Lyon squad, uh, but they can't make the pieces fit together. Uh, it's all about management and, you know, higher up sporting director. It goes all the way up. Peter Boss probably isn't the right person to have in charge. I think he's lucky to, to have this season with Lyon. And I think that he, he could be on his way very, very soon. But yeah, lots and lots of talent, lots of resources, but not necessarily the know-how and how to manage them. Heard it here first. The coaching merry-go-round could be starting. Uh, I'm not sure these the a couple of these coaches will make it all the way through to the World Cup, uh, even if not, perhaps the owners won't either. <laughs> Wrapping up in other results, then Yevan Diouf had a night to forget against his former employers, the former Trois Academy product in his first season with Reims, up against his former club with a terrible howler. But at least for him, it ended 2-2 at the end between Trois and Reims. Cedric Avenal, as we heard with his first goal for Ajaxio, but all to no avail. Clermont uh, winning out 3-1 in that one in Ajaxio. 10-man Auxerre, 10-man, that's going to be a phrase synonymous with the 2022-23 season. 1-1 uh, with Brest Slimani opening the scoring before Mbainyong scored for the fifth Ligue 1 club of his career and Toulouse got a third win of the season and a second in three with a 4-2 win over Montpellier. Montpellier who are continuing their historical uh, inability to string together any strong series of results from uh, one week to the next. A look at the ladder then. So we know who the top four are. PSG with 25 points. Marseille, Lorient and Lens are the top four. Monaco, I assume they or Rennes were the sides that are going to force Lens out of the top three for Ian Holyman because we know it's not going to be Lorient. So Monaco fifth. They are already eight points behind Paris Saint-Germain, though. Rennes are sixth. Then come Olympic Lyonnais and Lille with Clermont Foot on 13 points. Montpellier, Trois are 11th in the second half of the table. Toulouse, then there's three points from 12th place to lose to 13th place Nice on eight points. Auxerre and Angers also have eight. Nantes, the reigning cup winners, have seven points. That's the same number as Reims, who are in 17th and the first of the relegation spots behind them. Brest, Strasbourg and Ajaccio with just four points. A win and a draw and seven losses for Ajaccio so far this season. Time to look ahead to next week's action then. There's European football in the mix as well before, so no Friday night games. On Saturday, two matches as always, Olympic Marseille versus Ajaxio. That's something just about a derby, isn't it? Uh, nearly a, a, a Corsican uh, <laughs> Mediterranean coast derby, shall we say. Then Reims entertained Paris Saint-Germain, Montpellier, are at home to Monaco in the early kickoff game on the Sunday. Nice entertain Trois. Rennes take on Nantes in a derby match. And Lille take on Lens in the Derby du Nord. So there are some big derby matches. Luke, what takes your fancy? 
for the last one. I like this kind of uh, Leo wants. Um, I think that Fonseca needs to start getting some results, and I think that Lons can definitely continue this run. I'm not sure, it's, as we've already said, that they'll get the Champions League, but I think they'll uh, they'll still keep up there. And I think they've got a lot of um, I think they've got a lot of time to to stay within that top four, top five. So uh, I think they'll they'll potentially win that. I think it'll be a good game. Mr. Holyman, bon voyage. There's, there's plenty of games that I'd really like to see uh, next week. I think Montpellier Monaco could finish about seven five or five seven, depending on which Montpellier side turns up and which Monaco side turns up. There's, there's plenty of derbies as well. Brest Lorient, Rennes Nantes. That's always a that's always a good one. I think it's got to be Lille Nantes, hasn't it? Derby du Nord. I know that maybe we won't have the, we're not going to have probably the, the away fans, unfortunately, but uh, Lens have got an open training session on Wednesday, which I su- suspect will be an absolute capacity crowd of about 35,000 watching the side train and uh, sending them off to, to, to the derby on, on Sunday. It'll still be a tremendous atmosphere and I think it'll be a tremendous game as well. And as I was just looking uh, through the fixtures for this weekend, there is, of course, a Friday night game which I have just seen, and hence I will say that I'm going there. Olympic Lyonnais versus Toulouse. Lyon looking to break that losing run against a Toulouse side who I think a few of us thought could do something this season and perhaps be that surprise packet coming through. They're starting to find a little bit of form. Montagnier is a great coach. Can they uh, take advantage of this slump that Olympic Lyonnais find themselves in? We'll find out Friday night, that one, 9 p.m. kickoff time in France. gentlemen. That will do us for today. Thank you very much for joining us on Le Bourgeois once again. To people listening, don't forget, email us, follow us on Twitter, League One World or League 1 underscore English, the official Twitter handle for, for League 1 in English. Ian Holyman, busy week coming up for you. Enjoy. Plenty of football as always. Thank you. I will do. And Luke, you'll be catching up with Mr. Holyman, I think, in the Principality probably this week. Sounds very glamorous. Looking forward to it. <laughs> Fantastic, gentlemen. Thank you very much. And we'll see you again next week, or hear you again next week on Le Bourgeois. Bye bye. Bye bye. again. Messi again. This time, maybe Messi's done it.